Chapter Six of Son of Tarzan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Son of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Six. His first night in the jungle was one which the son of Tarzan held longest in his memory. No savage carnivora menaced him. There was never a sign of hideous barbarian, or if there were, the boy's troubled mind took no cognizance of them. His conscience was harassed by the thought of his mother's suffering. Self-blame plunged him into the depths of misery. The killing of the American caused him little or no remorse. The fellow had earned his fate. Jack's regret on this score was due mainly to the effect which the death of Condon had had upon his own plans. Now he could not return directly to his parents as he had planned. Fear of the primitive borderland law, of which he had read highly colored imaginary tales, had thrust him into the jungle a fugitive. He dared not return to the coast at this point, not that he was so greatly influenced through personal fear as from a desire to shield his father and mother from further sorrow and from the shame of having their honored name dragged through the sordid degradation of a murder trial. With returning day the boy's spirits rose, with the rising sun rose new hope within his breast. He would return to civilization by another way. None would guess that he had been connected with the killing of the stranger in the little out-of-the-way trading post upon a remote shore. Crouched close to the great ape in the crotch of a tree, the boy had shivered through an almost sleepless night. His light pajamas had been but little protection from the chill dampness of the jungle and only that side of him which was pressed against the warm body of his shaggy companion approximated to comfort. And so he welcomed the rising sun with its promise of warmth as well as light, the blessed sun, dispeller of physical and mental ills. He shook Akut into wakefulness. Come, he said, I am cold and hungry. We will search for food out there in the sunlight and he pointed to an open plain dotted with stunted trees and strewn with jagged rock. The boy slid to the ground as he spoke, but the ape first looked carefully about, sniffing the morning air. Then, satisfied that no danger lurked near, he descended slowly to the ground beside the boy. Numa and Sabor, his mate, feast upon those who descend first and look afterward, while those who look first and descend afterward live to feast themselves. Thus the old ape imparted to the son of Tarzan the boy's first lesson in jungle lore. Side by side they set off across the rough plain, for the boy wished first to be warm. The ape showed him the best places to dig for rodents and worms, but the lad only gagged at the thought of devouring the repulsive things. Some eggs they found, and these he sucked raw and also he ate roots and tubers which Akut unearthed. Beyond the plain and across a low bluff they came upon water, brackish, ill-smelling stuff in a shallow water-hole, the sides and bottom of which were trampled by the feet of many beasts. A herd of zebra galloped away as they approached. The lad was too thirsty by now to cavil at anything even remotely resembling water, so he drank his fill while Akut stood with raised head, alert for any danger. Before the ape drank, he cautioned the boy to be watchful, but as he drank he raised his head from time to time to cast a quick glance toward a clump of bushes a hundred yards away upon the opposite side of the water-hole. 
When he had done, he rose and spoke to the boy, in the language that was their common heritage, the tongue of the great apes. "'There is no danger near?' he asked. "'None,' replied the boy. "'I saw nothing move while you drank.' "'Your eyes will help you but little in the jungle,' said the ape. "'Here, if you would live, you must depend upon your ears and your nose, but most upon your nose. When we came down to drink I knew that no danger lurked near upon this side of the water-hole, for else the zebras would have discovered it and fled before we came. But upon the other side toward which the wind blows danger might lie concealed. We could not smell it, for its scent is being blown in the other direction, and so I bent my ears and eyes downwind where my nose cannot travel. "'And you found nothing?' asked the lad with a laugh. "'I found Numa crouching in that clump of bushes where the tall grasses grow,' and Akut pointed. "'A lion?' exclaimed the boy. "'How do you know? I can see nothing.' Numa is there, though, replied the great ape. First I heard him sigh. To you the sigh of Numa may sound no different from the other noises which the wind makes among the grasses and the trees, but later you must learn to know the sigh of Numa. Then I watched, and at last I saw the tall grasses moving at one point to a force other than the force of the wind. See, they are spread there upon either side of Numa's great body, and as he breathes, you see, you see the little motion at either side that is not caused by the wind, the motion that none of the other grasses have. The boy strained his eyes, better eyes than the ordinary boy inherits, and at last he gave a little exclamation of discovery. Yes, he said, I see, he lies there, and he pointed, his head is toward us. Is he watching us? Numa is watching us, replied Akut. But we are in little danger unless we approach too close, for he is lying upon his kill. His belly is almost full, or we should hear him crunching the bones. He is watching us in silence merely from curiosity. Presently he will resume his feeding, or he will rise and come down to the water for a drink. As he neither fears or desires us, he will not try to hide his presence from us. But now is an excellent time to learn to know Numa, for you must learn to know him well if you would live long in the jungle. Where the great apes are, many Numa leave us alone. Our fangs are long and strong, and we can fight. But when we are alone and he is hungry, we are no match for him. Come, we will circle him and catch his scent. The sooner you learn to know it, the better. But keep close to the trees as we go round him, for Numa often does that which he is least expected to do. And keep your ears and your eyes and your nose open. Remember always that there may be an enemy behind every bush, in every tree, and amongst every clump of jungle grass. While you are avoiding Numa, do not run into the jaws of Sabor, his mate. Follow me. And Akut set off in a wide circle about the water-hole and the crouching lion. The boy followed close upon his heels, his every sense upon the alert, his nerves keyed to the highest pitch of excitement. This was life. 
For the instant he forgot his resolutions of a few minutes past to hasten to the coast at some other point than that at which he had landed and make his way immediately back to London. He thought now only of the savage joy of living, and of pitting one's wits and prowess against the wiles and might of the savage jungle brood which haunted the broad plains and the gloomy forest isles of the great untamed continent. He knew no fear. His father had had none to transmit to him, but honor and conscience he did have, and these were to trouble him many times as they battled with his inherent love of freedom for possession of his soul. They had passed but a short distance to the rear of Numa when the boy caught the unpleasant odor of the carnivore. His face lighted with a smile. Something told him that he would have known that scent among a myriad of others, even if Akut had not told him that a lion lay near. There was a strange familiarity, a weird familiarity in it, that made the short hairs rise at the nape of his neck and brought his upper lip into an involuntary snarl that bared his fighting fangs. There was a sense of stretching of the skin about his ears, for all the world as though those members were flattening back against his skull in preparation for deadly combat. His skin tingled. He was aglow with a pleasurable sensation that he never before had known. He was, upon the instant, another creature, wary, alert, ready. Thus did the scent of Numa the lion transform the boy into a beast. He had never seen a lion. His mother had gone to great pains to prevent it, but he had devoured countless pictures of them, and now he was ravenous to feast his eyes upon the king of beasts in the flesh. As he trailed Akut he kept an eye cocked over one shoulder, rearward, in the hope that Numa might rise from his kill and reveal himself. Thus it happened that he dropped some little way behind Akut, and the next he knew he was recalled suddenly to a contemplation of other matters than the hidden Numa by a shrill scream of warning from the ape. Turning his eyes quickly in the direction of his companion, the boy saw that, standing in the path directly before him, which sent tremors of excitement racing along every nerve of his body with body half-merging from a clump of bushes in which she must have lain hidden stood a sleek and beautiful lioness her yellow-green eyes were round and staring boring straight into the eyes of the boy not ten paces separated them twenty paces behind the lioness stood the great ape bellowing instructions to the boy and hurling taunts at the lioness in an evident effort to attract her attention from the lad while he gained the shelter of a nearby tree but Sabor was not to be diverted. She had her eyes upon the lad. He stood between her and her mate, between her and the kill. It was suspicious. Probably he had ulterior designs upon her lord and master, or upon the fruits of their hunting. A lioness is short-tempered. Akut's bellowing annoyed her. She uttered a little rumbling growl, taking a step toward the boy. The tree! screamed Akut. The boy turned and fled, and at the same instant the lioness charged. The tree was but a few paces away. A limb hung ten feet from the ground, and as the boy leaped for it, the lioness leaped for him. Like a monkey he pulled himself up and to one side. A great forepaw caught him a glancing blow at the hips, just grazing him. 
One curved talon hooked itself into the waistband of his pajama trousers, ripping them from him as the lioness sped by. Half naked, the lad drew himself to safety as the beast turned and leaped for him once more. Akut from a nearby tree jabbered and scolded, calling the lioness all manner of foul names. The boy, patterning his conduct after that of his preceptor, unstoppered the vials of his invective upon the head of the enemy, until, in realization of the futility of words as weapons, he bethought himself of something heavier to hurl. There was nothing but dead twigs and branches at hand, but these he flung at the upturned, snarling face of Sabor, just as his father had before him twenty years ago, when as a boy he too had taunted and tantalized the great cats of the jungle. The lioness fretted about the bole of the tree for a short time, but finally, either realizing the uselessness of her vigil, or prompted by the pangs of hunger, she stalked majestically away, and disappeared in the brush that hid her lord, who had not once shown himself during the altercation. Freed from their retreats, Akut and the boy came to the ground to take up their interrupted journey once more. The old ape scolded the lad for his carelessness. Had you not been so intent upon the lion behind you, you might have discovered the lioness much sooner than you did. But you passed right by her without seeing her, retorted the boy. Akut was chagrined. It is thus, he said, that jungle folk die. We go cautiously for a lifetime, and then, just for an instant, we forget, and— He ground his teeth in mimicry of the crunching of great jaws in flesh. It is a lesson, he resumed. You have learned that you may not for too long keep your eyes and your ears and your nose all bent in the same direction. That night the son of Tarzan was colder than he had ever been in all his life. The pajama trousers had not been heavy, but they had been much heavier than nothing. And the next day he roasted in the hot sun, for again their way led much across wide and treeless plains. It was still in the boy's mind to travel to the south and circle back to the coast in search of another outpost of civilization. He had said nothing of this plan to Akut, for he knew that the old ape would look with displeasure upon any suggestion that savored of separation. For a month the two wandered on, the boy learning rapidly the laws of the jungle, his muscles adapting themselves to the new mode of life that had been thrust upon them. The thews of the sire had been transmitted to the son. It needed only the hardening of use to develop them. The lad found that it came quite naturally to him to swing through the trees. Even at great heights he never felt the slightest dizziness, and when he had caught the knack of the swing and the release he could hurl himself through space from branch to branch with even greater agility than the heavier acoot and with exposure came a toughening and a hardening of his smooth white skin, browning now beneath the sun and wind. He had removed his pajama jacket one day to bathe in a little stream that was too small to harbor crocodiles, and while he and Akut had been disporting themselves in the cool waters, a monkey had dropped down from the overhanging trees, snatched up the boy's single remaining article of civilized garmenture, and scampered away with it. For a time Jack was angry, 
but when he had been without the jacket for a short while he began to realize that being half-clothed is infinitely more uncomfortable than being entirely naked. Soon he did not miss his clothing in the least, and from that he came to revel in the freedom of his unhampered state. Occasionally a smile would cross his face as he tried to imagine the surprise of his schoolmates could they but see him now. They would envy him. Yes, how they would envy him. He felt sorry for them at such times, and again as he thought of them amid luxuries and comforts of their English homes, happy with their fathers and mothers, a most uncomfortable lump would arise into the boy's throat, and he would see a vision of his mother's face through a blur of mist that came unbidden to his eyes. Then it was that he urged Akut onward, for now they were headed westward toward the coast. The old ape thought that they were searching for a tribe of his own kind, nor did the boy disabuse his mind of this belief. It would do to tell Akut of his real plans when they had come within sight of civilization. One day, as they were moving slowly along beside a river, they came unexpectedly upon a native village. Some children were playing beside the water. The boy's heart leaped within his breast at sight of them. For over a month he had seen no human being. What if these were naked savages? What if their skins were black? Were they not creatures fashioned in the mold of their maker, as was he? They were his brothers and sisters. He started toward them. With a low warning, Akut laid a hand upon his arm to hold him back. The boy shook himself free, and with a shout of greeting ran forward toward the ebon players. The sound of his voice brought every head erect. Wide eyes viewed him for an instant, and then with screams of terror the children turned and fled toward the village. At their heels ran their mothers, and from the village gate, in response to the alarm, came a score of warriors, hastily snatched spears and shields ready in their hands. At sight of the consternation he had wrought, the boy halted. The glad smile faded from his face, as with wild shouts and menacing gestures the warriors ran toward him. Akut was calling to him from behind to turn and flee, telling him that the blacks would kill him. For a moment he stood watching them coming. Then he raised his hand with the palm toward them in a signal for them to halt, calling out at the same time that he came as a friend, that he had only wanted to play with their children. Of course they did not understand a word that he addressed to them, and their answer was what any naked creature who had run suddenly out of the jungle upon their women and children might have expected, a shower of spears. The missiles struck all about the boy, but none touched him. Again his spine tingled, and the short hairs lifted at the nape of his neck and along the top of his scalp. His eyes narrowed. Sudden hatred flared in them to wither the expression of glad friendliness that had lighted them but an instant before. With a low snarl, quite similar to that of a baffled beast, he turned and ran into the jungle. There was Akut awaiting him in a tree. The ape urged him to hasten in flight, for the wise old anthropoid knew that they too, naked and unarmed, were no match for the sinewy black warriors who would doubtless make some sort of search for them through the jungle. But a new power moved the son of Tarzan. He had come with a boy's glad and open heart to offer his friendship to these people who were human beings like himself. He had been met with suspicion and spears. They had not even listened to him. Rage and hatred consumed him. When Akut urged speed, he held back. He wanted to fight. 
yet his reason made it all too plain that it would be but a foolish sacrifice of his life to meet these armed men with his naked hands and his teeth. Already the boy thought of his teeth, of his fighting fangs, when possibility of combat loomed close. Moving slowly through the trees, he kept his eyes over his shoulder, though he no longer neglected the possibilities of other dangers which might lurk on either hand or ahead. His experience with the lioness did not need a repetition to ensure the permanency of the lesson it had taught. Behind he could hear the savages advancing with shouts and cries. He lagged further behind until the pursuers were in sight. They did not see him, for they were not looking among the branches of the trees for human quarry. The lad kept just ahead of them. For a mile, perhaps, they continued the search, and then they turned back toward the village. Here was the boy's opportunity, that for which he had been waiting, while the hot blood of revenge coursed through his veins until he saw his pursuers through a scarlet haze. When they turned back, he turned and followed them. Akut was no longer in sight. Thinking that the boy followed, he had gone on further ahead. He had no wish to tempt fate within range of those deadly spears. Slinking silently from tree to tree, the boy dogged the footsteps of the returning warriors. At last one dropped behind his fellows as they followed a narrow path toward the village. A grim smile lit the lad's face. Swiftly he hurried forward until he moved almost above the unconscious black stalking him as Sheeta the panther stalked his prey, as the boy had seen Sheeta do on many occasions. Suddenly and silently he leaped forward and downward upon the broad shoulders of his prey. In the instant of contact his fingers sought and found the man's throat. The weight of the boy's body hurled the black heavily to the ground, the knees in his back knocking the breath from him as he struck. Then a set of strong white teeth fastened themselves in his neck, and muscular fingers closed tighter upon his windpipe. For a time the warrior struggled frantically, throwing himself about in an effort to dislodge his antagonist, but all the while he was weakening, and all the while the grim and silent thing he could not see clung tenaciously to him, and dragged him slowly into the bush to one side of the trail. Hidden there at last, safe from the prying eyes of searchers, should they miss their fellow and return for him, the lad choked the life from the body of his victim. At last he knew by the sudden struggle, followed by limp relaxation, that the warrior was dead. Then a strange desire seized him. His whole being quivered and thrilled. Involuntarily he leaped to his feet and placed one foot upon the body of his kill. His chest expanded. He raised his face toward the heavens and opened his mouth to voice a strange, weird cry that seemed screaming within him for outward expression, but no sound passed his lips. He just stood there for a full minute, his face turned toward the sky, his breast heaving to the pent emotion like an animate statue of vengeance. The silence which marked the first great kill of the son of Tarzan was to typify all his future kills just as the hideous victory cry of the bull-ape had marked the kills of his mighty sire. End of chapter 6